five four three two one zero and liftoff. Dispatches, a production of Blur Bank, is an in-depth look at those living artistic lives. Each episode will feature photographs and audio interviews with narrative pioneers who have taken creativity and publishing in their own hands. From artists to authors, photographers to philosophers, Dispatches will reveal the faces and foundations of those who lead the creative way. Hello everyone, I'm in Sydney, Australia today, and we've got a little reggae playing in the background here on the, on the behind this interview, so uh, I think it's, we're in for a little extra flavor today, and I'm very fortunate to be sitting here with Nick Hannes, who is somebody I just met a couple of days ago. Nick, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. And uh, Nick is a photographer. I'm in, in Sydney for Blurb, and we have a setup at the um, Head On uh, Photo Festival, has uh, their hub at Town Hall, and Blurb has a booth in there, and Nick came in to do a presentation about a project that he's been working on I saw the project and thought it's absolutely fascinating, and I wanted to uh, track him down for an interview. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about, but the first thing is, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, who are you, where you come from. Right, so um, I'm based in Belgium, I'm 42. Um, I've been studying photography at the Academy of Arts in Ghent. It's, a, it's an, an old institution with a strong documentary tradition. That was back in the 90s. I graduated in 97. Okay. Um, so that was all uh, all, all pictures I, I, I made back then while we were on film. There were no digital cameras yet, or they, yeah. they were there, but yeah. I didn't Early use days. It. Early days. So um, then I started off as a press photographer right in after, I, I was, uh, after I graduated. I've been doing that for, uh, yeah, almost eight years. Okay. Uh, mostly for Belgian and uh, Dutch magazines and newspapers. And meanwhile, I tried to realize own projects, self-initiated projects, uh, mostly in the Middle East. But I found out that it was hard to find the right balance between my assignments and trying to realize something sustainable in the long term. So I... It ended... I. I ended up quite frustrated by not having enough time to do, to do what I wanted, uh, not having enough energy left, not having, yeah, mostly energy and time. So, so let's, go, let's go back a little bit further. I'm curious yes. because um, I, on the way over to the hotel here, I talked to you and I was saying that my father had said to me when I was young, photography is a hobby. You should be an investment banker. And the way that he looked at the world from the, he was more of a financial kind of guy. He looked at it as, you know, uh, the creative, pursuits were just, you know, there were things to do on the side, but they weren't really legitimate parts of the of the economy or the industry or, or culture. How early in your life did you know that being creative or being someone that wanted to tell stories, how how far back did that go? I think at the age of 16, I knew I would, I would like to photograph, fo be a photographer. Although I've been studying one year in a film school first, okay. that was way too technical for me, a lot of uh, physics and chemistry and a lot of, uh, yeah, very hard th theoretically, so I, I skipped that and I went to the academy where, where there's more, um, yeah, uh, more practice. And how and in, in, in the academy, it's Royal, Royal Academy of Art, yeah. which I'm sure covers multiple disciplines, so yeah, probably yeah. painting, visual art, etc. How was photography viewed in that, in that scale? Was it on par or was it sort of considered, like sometimes in the US photography is considered, well, it's not fine art, it's photography and it's got its own place. No, it's, uh, there was no, no uh, difference in, uh, in with the other departments. I mean, 
also this school was re is really known and was really known for uh, for its photography tradition. Uh, it used to be uh, combined with film, then it split up and it became two different, uh, two separate uh, departments. Um, no, and you also have a lot of um, like more um, uh, yeah, graphic design, which are not yeah. really. I mean, people who are who are designing uh, for other people, so mm -hmm. they're not really making their own work. So in a way, we didn't. Um, there was no. I didn't think we were uh, like uh, less or more than the others. Uh, we were all all the same students, and it was really nice atmosphere. So, do you remember uh, the first time that you made a photograph when you were coming up and it was young and you're studying? The first time that you made a photograph that you thought this is really good, this is successful. I've actually done something here. And it turned out that it was good because my first portfolio I thought was really amazing. And I w look at it now and it's like I was, I took a picture of a sunset. I had, this was really early on. Mm. And they're just not good photographs. And then when you figure out a little more, then some, you, ha you eventually have a breakthrough where you go, I think I just made something, made something good. Well, um, with me it started when I, I was fascinated by nature and I started with nature photography, birds and butterflies and flowers when I was 14. I, 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 I stole the camera from my, from my father, like a, <laughs> a, a, a reflex camera, a Canon, an old, uh, an old one. So um, that's where I ex started to experiment with, uh, with uh, apertures and, and shutter speeds and, 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 and film. And, and uh, that shifted um, when uh, when I started to uh, study photography. It shifted more towards um, city life and people in the streets. That was also one of the things we had to do from the teachers there. Um, they send us out in the streets for observation. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, that's what we had to do. So you, I, I walked down the streets of Brussels like for for, for years, sh just shooting people in the streets. The first time I, um, I think I had something um, was actually also it was a, f uh, a photo of a flower with a with a, sl a snail on it, and I sent it in for um, a photo contest, <laughs> yeah. amateur co photo contest yeah. in Belgium, and I won the, the first prize, which oh. was was not bad. It was a uh, um, uh, two thousand five hundred euros in a, a travel um, uh, like travel voucher. Travel voucher. Oh yeah. wow, that's and with that. Uh, travel with that trip. I, I, I chose to do a, a trip to the to the Galapagos Islands, nice. where I wanted to see more animals, of <laughs> course. And uh, I was a big fan of, and I'm still am a big fan of Darwin. So that oh was yeah. his island. Yeah. And uh, there, yeah, there it started. But um, as I told you, it shifted soon towards more social uh, human photography. And so you graduated from school. You became a press photographer for the first, say, 10, 10 years of your career. How difficult was it to get started? Because I, that's exactly what I did. I graduated in 1992, and I immediately started working for a newspaper, and then went from newspaper to magazines. There was so, at the time, that was the path that you took if you wanted to sort of progress into editorial and advertising and all these things. You started at a newspaper, you built your portfolio, then you started freelancing for magazines, and then you jumped to magazines full time, and then for magazines you could do commercial and advertising. So what was it like in Europe to yeah. to become a press photographer? Well, um, for me, every, I had to discover everything by myself. I'm not from, uh, there's no photography or no ar artists in my family. Okay. Family, um, I'm from a brewer's family. My ancestors ah. were all brewers. <laughs> so, but I, I'm very different than my brother and my sister, for instance. But anyway, th that um, was no problem. I could do whatever I wanted from my, from my parents. When I graduated, the first job I had was a, 
a bike uh, delivery boy. Oh, bike messenger. Yeah. Yeah, nice. <laughs> For three months, because I didn't find work in the, the first uh, the first months, and then suddenly I could start in a, uh, with as a staff photographer for a Belgian newspaper. Okay. Freelance, I mean, independent. Yeah. But, but uh, I mean, I... I, I kind of worked as a staff photographer, but that was a very popular newspaper with not a lot of um, uh, good attention for, for good photography. I mean, we were like making the, the, uh, the illustrations for the articles. There was no real autonomous photography for that newspaper. Anyway, it was interesting to, to learn to know uh, the, the rhythm of a, of a newspaper. Mm -hmm. Uh, working with deadlines, doing like five, six assignments a day, uh, yeah. uh, which was really hard. I I did that for a year, and then I, I said, "This is it. This is enough. <laughs> I'm not going to continue with this." Also, because I didn't, the, the, when I saw the newspaper the next day, didn't really give a lot of s satisfaction to to see yeah. your pictures fucked up all the time. Yeah. And um, but meanwhile, I cont I got in touch with other newspapers, other photographers, journalists, and so I could mm -hmm. expand my network a bit, and that was good. Um, then after a year, there was a new magazine coming out in Belgium, which uh, was mostly about culture, uh, yeah, anything cultural news. Um, so I started to work for that. I became their house photographer, actually. Okay. But mostly portraits I did of uh, musicians, uh, artists, uh, actors. Gig. That was good. And um, uh, yeah, that was I, I could kind of uh, develop the phase of the magazine with my photography because I, I was hardly the only one doing the photography for that magazine. Uh, that was seven days a week working, day and night. Wow. A lot yeah. of... Uh, but it, it, it was nice. I did that for two years, and then again, I had to change yeah, my it path. It's hard. It, it, it can, you said something earlier that I think is incredibly important, which is you did these things, and then there started to be, you know, you realized I can't do this for a long time, I don't want to do this, and there's some other thing that you're going after, which exactly. in your case were the longer, the longer projects, which are not really designed for these modern publications that are doing shorter content and higher volume kind of things. And at some point it starts to, you, you take something you love and it becomes something different. And you basically wanted to get back to what you were, these long-term things. Yeah, I, well, I, um, I didn't do long-term things the first 10 years after I graduated. But um, it, was, it was always on my mind. So I had to, to make a radical choice. That was in 2006. I called to all the people where I worked for, please don't call me the next year, I'm off. I'm going to travel. <laughs> wow. Um, and what was the reaction from them? Did they say congratulations or did they say, what are you doing, what are you doing? There was not a lot of reaction, I have to admit. Uh -huh. um, I knew that w if I would go traveling for a year, I would probably not, I would probably lose my, my mm, position. Yeah, yeah your in standings, there. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, I, I had to make a sacrifice, no problem. Um, so I, um, yeah, I saved money to do to uh, to be able to survive. Sure, for that in one that year time. without doing too much of assignments because I didn't want to do that. I wanted to to go away and 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 do what I whatever I wanted without any pressure from from whoever outside. And I started from Antwerp, my hometown, and I my plan was to travel all the way to Vladivostok in Russia. Okay, near the Japanese Sea without taking airplanes just over land, crossing 
the former Soviet Union, with my girlfriend. We just had two backpacks, one camera, and um, nice. And we, we we left. There was even no intention to to make a, a book uh, or, or or anything. It was completely. It was pure. Pure. And that did something with uh, with me and also with my photography. What what did it do? Um, I think I got rid of my journalistic reflex, always wanting to shoot where the news is or mm -hmm. where the events take place. I, of course, when you travel this this much, you start to travel very slow and and slow and also quick in a way because you don't stay uh, for a long time and in, in the same place you, you're always an observer you never have the, the time to become part of society to to participate to society mm -hmm. all new societies which where I haven't hadn't been before so this had an inf an, an, a big influence on my photography which um, which became more open open to interpretation um, more Distant. Distance maybe not a good word because that sounds so bad. But I. But there's a there's a freedom that you, ha you that you suddenly have because nobody is telling you what what to do. Yeah. And you're able to sort of like you said slow down and look at the world in a different way, and then you're suddenly left to your own resources in terms of how you see the world. And sometimes it takes a while to figure out what that path is hmm. because. When you work on assignment for so long, your, your brain is sort of conditioned to, you're, you know, you frame things up and say, oh, they're never going to use that. Or if I shoot that this way, it's never going to run. That's and then, right. And it, suddenly all those restrictions are gone. And mm. sometimes it's a little scary at times when you get out there because you're like, hey, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And then you have to answer the question, what is it I want to do? You know, and yeah. it's, it took me a long time. It took me about 10 years to figure it out. It's, it's hard to get rid of the routine that you build up yourself. In the end, you become almost a slave of your own style, your own mm -hmm. um, or what people expect from you. So, uh, but I, I have to say, I didn't really, it, it all came very organically. It, I didn't force anything. It was, um, and that was the nice, the nice thing about it. I, um, it just came, uh, this, this photography, this, this, the, my, I think that's the basis of, of what I would call maybe my style of nowadays. Um, this kind of photography with a lot of, yeah, it's a way of ur um, urban landscape photography, but also mm -hmm. um, so yeah, with al always with with people and their relationship with their environment. Um, uh, yeah. And so let's let's move on to the project that I saw the other day at the town hall, which is a project that you did on the Mediterranean, mm -hmm. and it's a project about the continuity of man, which I find a really interesting subtitle. And then beyond that, it's about tourist tourism, migration, and crisis. So give us a little background on what this project is, because the scale is impressive, both in physical scale, but also the, the range of the photographs that you made. I was mesmerized by this by this the look of what you did but also about all of the different concepts that yeah. are involved in this project and the fact that you said that it's an evolving thing there's no beginning and end of this project which for a photographer one of the things that's always kind of makes you feel good as a photographer in the field is when you can see these sort of edges of your project and it you kind of know where you're at and to to not have that i was really intrigued when i hear you when i heard you say that because that has to affect how you work. But let's have just a little background on what this project is. Okay, first, uh, I have to go a little back towards this um, 
to this big trip in the Soviet Union, oh, former yeah, Soviet yeah. Union, yeah. because that was like a um, a moment of change in my mind, as I told you. Eventually, there, ca the, there was a book and an exhibition, and and that shifted my uh, my my career. Actually, I, I instead of a, a press photographer, the press photo photographer from before, I was like yeah, more documentary photographer without without um, much effort. I think. I mean, it, yeah. it's very yeah, yeah. natural. Yeah. So the book was published. It was well received. It was sold out in a year when it was reprinted. And this, and, and I decided, yes, this is actually so nice to do. I, I, I have to make another one. Yeah. Um, and well, that's an amazing feat in itself. The fact that your first book sold out and was reprinted. That's an incredibly rare occurrence in yeah. the photo book world. Well, I, I don't know. It was, I don't know what, if, if you can compare it to, uh, to, to the States uh, in Belgium, a uh, small country. Um, so but it was it was distributed in in Belgium, Western Europe, but not not much further. That was a bit of a problem. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I took a, a map and I took a look at the map and I said, "How nice is this little sea here, <laughs> which is n so nearby yeah, the Mediterranean Sea? Have you have you seen the shape properly? It's 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 an amazing sea." And um, meanwhile. I also I had become a father. I, uh, two, I had two two daughters in one time, so my life became kind of hectic. There was it was no option to to make a new book about South America, for instance, right. which I also would find interesting. But I had to to look for an area Close a bit to closer home. to home, mm -hmm. which I could go and back and come back, etc. So Mediterranean was uh, was perfect, and but it's that's a practical reason, but. The, but the history of the Mediterranean there, it's, it's, it's our history, the history of, of Western Europe, the cradle of civilization, as people say, the birthplace of three big religions. Um, and, and I started to read about it and I got really fascinated by its history, by the fact that once in history it got unified by the Roman Empire, who would call it Mare Nostrum, our sea. So all these historical facts fed my fascination that I, I said, okay, how interesting would it be if I started if I would just travel all around the Mediterranean, follow the coastline, and end up at the same point again. And uh, so, basically, I started to travel in 2010 with one big trip to uh, Spain. I bought a camp camper van, second-hand camper oh, van. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, I did ki two kind of trips. So the northern part, the European part, from Gibraltar to Turkey, I would do with this camper van in four big trips of uh, three months each. And all the other countries in Africa, North Africa, Middle East, and also the islands, I would do by airplane. Okay. Just, um, yeah, that was, it was no option to, to, to make it one big round trip because of a lot of practical reasons. And so when you sit down, you looked at, you got out your map and you looked at the Mediterranean and said, okay, this is, this, now I, I sort of have a target in mind for what this is. This is a project about the Med. W how much time goes into the research to where before you get on that, before you fly to Gibraltar and get a camper van or Spain to get a camper van? What's the time frame between those two? A couple of months, but as this is a project that consists of more than 20 trips, each, for each trip I, I I prepared weeks uh, weeks in advance. I'm not preparing the whole thing from the beginning. 
I prepare trip per trip. Trip per trip. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I started with Spain. Okay, what's what's so specific on Spain? It's it's mass tourism. It's the Costa del Sol. It's where Club Mediterranean was established. It's it's this is mass tourism. So I went to those places where where you you could easily see the yeah, the coastal urban sprawl, the hotel, big hotel resorts, uh, golf courses, uh, these kind of things. Did you did your preparation after you you visited the first couple of countries the first three month trip? Did the preparation change after that, or did you say that was successful and I'm going to keep doing exactly the same thing? It's changed uh, in the beginning. I I started with a. I started to photograph everything that I found interesting. The first trip, especially the one in Spain, but. Um, the more I traveled, afterwards came um, uh, came Italy and, and France. You will I, I, I noticed that I'm um, attached or I'm I'm photographing the same things all over, um, which was tourism, urbanization, and the impact of tourism on the landscapes, but also migration, which is something that is left from before. I've I've, I've been photographing migrants before also, and. Um, so it, it became more focused after a while. And then I knew, okay, this is going to be a complicated thing. I'm working on all these different topics. Meanwhile, there was a crisis in Greece breaking out. There were these Arab revolutions breaking out. And this, this all became part of the big project, all these different parallel realities. And I knew by, by then this is going to be such a hard time to edit the whole thing and to find like a storyline in it because this is about everything um, that was the big challenge in the end and are you on a daily basis editing the take from that day or are you waiting until you come back from these trips i um, yeah i don't edit my pictures when i'm traveling interesting because i i look at it i look at them in the evening when i come back shooting but i'm not editing you're just looking to make sure that things are okay. Your sensor's fine. And yeah, you well, a that's it. Like a okay. technical check and see. Uh, sometimes you have to, to give yourself a compliment <laughs> to keep yeah. up your motivation. Then you can say to yourself, I, did a I made a good picture today. Yeah. So it's important to see your, your when, work. When you're shooting in the field and you, there are those times when you know that you have something or you're pretty sure that you have something, is, is that how it works for you where you, you're in the field and you, the, the set of ingredients in front of you is right the light's right, the timing's right, and you get something and you go, I think I really got that. So you'll, you'll check that, but you're not going to sit and go through everything and start piecing it together until you're back from that trip. Abs yes, that's it. How hard is that to do? Because people obsess over, you know, digital is the, it's a slippery slope. How hard is that? I don't think it's hard. It's, it's a mindset. Uh, editing is, it goes in different phases. Okay, you have, you look at your pictures. I look at my pictures when I'm traveling. When I get back home, I will make a, a big edit of all those pictures that might end up in the final book or exhibition. Okay. And then, as you have, m after all, all your trips, you can make your f your final edit. That's the third phase, um, and then then that's the most uh, the most crucial phase, of course, because you know. The pages in a book are limited, and you have m way too many pictures, so that's that's a hard thing. And I don't, I don't, I, I'm not so, um, I'm not the guy who is sh uh, photographing, and and if it's a good picture, I will po post it immediately on my Facebook or on my Instagram. Um, good. I'm I'm waiting with these things, and um, well, I don't feel the need to do to do that. 
Good. I, I'm really glad to hear you say that. Mm -hmm. I think it. I don't think it helps you as a photographer to do that. I think it waters down what it is you're doing, because people move so quickly. And if you put things out and you post them like that, they'll literally, when the book is done, let's say a year and a half or two years later, they'll briefly maybe they see the, the image on the cover of the book and they say oh I've already seen that project and they might have only seen a single frame and they go oh yeah I know all about that and they just don't bother with it yeah I think one of the things about posting all the time in social media that's been a detriment to photography is it's it has reduced the mystery involved like I just met you I saw the project I'm like this is an interesting guy He's from I don't know anything about Belgium I don't know anything about your history. And there's the idea of like learning you through your work is a very interesting thing. I don't wanna personally, I don't wanna learn you through having to go on Facebook and Instagram and like following you every day. It's a different yeah. experience. So you did these, so it was a five year project and you yes. made 20 trips, approximately 20 trips to do this entire thing. Was there a country that proved uh, exceptionally difficult along the way? Well, actually, I did all the countries except Syria, mm. of, for obvious reasons, of course. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm always working in the public area. I, I walk around from morning till evening. I couldn't do that in Syria. It, it, was, it would be the same as committing suicide. Uh, yeah. I, I cannot. Uh, I'm not a war photographer. I tried it once when I was younger, but I felt it's not in my DNA. I'm, I'm, I'm not that kind of person who is going to front, uh, front line. Um, so, Syria was, of course, it's a pity for Syria, first of all, yeah. and secondly, for the project, but let be, let's be, uh, be clear. But then there was Libya, there another war uh, went on there, and I went there, but that was by far the most challenging trip I made for this project, you had because a it, was, uh, it was still chaos. There was no more open fighting anymore, but there was no central authority, no central power militias everywhere and you d you didn't know which who you dealt you dealt with at the checkpoints mm -hmm. so i had this ba bad experience there although i thought i took my precautions by hiring a fixer and going only to decent hotels in big cities and not travel at night uh, i ended up arrested by the secret police or i don't know secret one one of the militias of Mira misrata they um, they didn't believe me when I told them I was making a book about the Mediterranean Sea. <laughs> they checked all my pictures uh, on my camera, which were, of course, a lot of destroyed buildings. I just came back from Sirte, which Sirte is completely destroyed, the, the city center. And they, uh, th this guy said, yeah, "How uh, how come you're making a book about the Mediterranean? We only see destruction. You don't you don't shoot beaches. You don't shoot uh, shoot fishermen. Uh, we don't believe you." And uh -huh. so I was uh, I was accused of being a spy in a way. And so they detained you. I was detained and my fixer as well for two days and two nights. I could make one phone call called the ambassador, Belgian ambassador. And the first thing he said to me, it was nine o'clock in the evening, was, Mr. Hannes, haven't you read our uh, travel uh, rec <laughs> recommendments for Libya? You should not go there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit late for that. Yeah. I said, I'm very sorry, but I'm a photographer. I have to travel if I want to make pictures. I cannot do it from home. <laughs> um, but uh, he was a bit um, uh, annoyed and irritated. Um, but they worked really hard behind uh, the screens to get me free. And uh, eventually, after two days, there was a taxi waiting for me in front of the police station. And I was brought uh, directly to the, to the Belgian embassy. 
however, my my equipment they kept for investigation. They told mm. me so my laptop, my two cameras, uh, everything. Uh, I was inter interrogated uh, two times at night, and these were really really hard interviews because they did it two times, and they wanted to compare my answers. But I didn't sleep at all. I was so. Um, Nervous imagine. that I didn't. I, uh, there was a guard. I, I usually don't smoke. He had a cigarette. He had cigarettes. And I said, "Can I have a cigarette?" He gave me the whole packet, and I finished the packet in one night. <laughs> 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 and um, anyway, I didn't sleep. And then, uh, when you were inter interrogated, uh, they they would say to you, "But yesterday we asked you the same question, and then you answered this, so you're lying." Oh. And and so they they know uh, they know all the tricks the, the tricks and the techniques yeah. and I said okay yeah come on and then in the end uh, everything went fine I I got even my uh, my equipment back the ambas ambassador that's a miracle could release it it's a miracle I didn't uh, think about that the memory cards were all deleted but not not I formatted not formatted so yeah. so you a student from them. the school where I teach helped me to recover all the oh. lost data data otherwise it would have been a trip in vain so oh my god that's fantastic i was so so happy yeah i can't believe that i mean thank god that most people don't know what formatting means you know yeah. they hit the delete button and so um, this project was self funded this yeah. was a project that you did because you wanted to do it and no one was telling you to do it how that there's a lot of people, especially a lot of young photographers who are coming up who are also faced with that situation. And how difficult was that to pull off? Because five years in 20 countries, that's not exactly a, a, you know, a minor project here. It is, it is difficult. Um, and it means that you, you will have, in, in a way, you will have to learn to live a bit cheaper and to, uh, yeah, to sacrifice something else, which I don't really mind as long as I can take care of my family and, sure. and and so on basic things but you can do it with a bit less then in terms of paying trips um, so I, I funded I uh, financed the whole thing by myself I, I invested in this camper van and the only um, yeah, after each trip I tried to uh, to make some reportages about other subjects which I would find find on the road which would not necessarily be in the book, but uh, this doing doing so, I could publish like after each trip, I could publish at least some uh, some feature stories to uh, magazines and, and newspapers, and that would give me that would uh, give me enough money to to finance the next trip and so on. Um, it is uh, it's an investment, a long term investment. Also, it's not uh, that uh, that you earn the money immediately up, yeah up front yeah um, so afterwards the, the pictures are still being published through agencies I collaborate with uh, when I had my exhibition in the Museum of Photography I had quite quite a bit of print sales um, of course when the exhibitions are over that stops again <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah you gotta find uh, it and then you gotta find another way yeah I mean it's a, yeah. it's a struggle it's not I think um, there was another photographer that spoke this afternoon at Town Hall and someone said, oh, I'm a young photographer and I want to do this kind of work. What, what's your advice? And the photographer said, you have to want it more than you probably know. You have to want yeah. it so bad or otherwise it's not going to happen. This goes, uh, realizing a project of this size goes way beyond economical logics that it's just not, nobody could pay it if, if they would, if I mm -hmm. would be paid properly as the time I invested in it and, and so on. So that's something you shouldn't bother about it if you want to do this. If you want to, you just go for it. And, and if, it doesn't, if, if it doesn't work for a while, then you wait. And maybe then the project takes seven years instead of five. But 
I knew from the beginning, from the very first trip I made to Spain, this is going to be hard, but I cannot go back. I started this, there are 19 more countries to go, I will finish, <laughs> I will finish them all. And uh, yeah, you have to give yourself some, some time. And uh, I was, uh, this morning I got up early and I was watching the beginnings of a doc documentary called Valley Uprising, which was about the climbing community in Yosemite Valley, going back to the 50s and 60s. And the first guys that climbed the, the nose of El Capitan, they, they reached a point on the wall where there was, you, they couldn't possibly turn around. And no one had ever climbed it, and no one had ever done it. But you left the ground knowing that there was a point of no return. And like it, in those days, how they would get you off the side of that face if something went wrong, there was no way to do it. Yeah. And so that, that commitment level, and I think it's one thing that's often misunder misunderstood about projects like this and the commitment that people have to accomplish them, because it's not easy. There's always something tapping you on the shoulder saying, this isn't logical. You know, this, there's no, no one's paying you to be here. One thing that I've run into is doing these projects when people are a little suspicious of who you are and what you're doing and, you, and they ask you who is paying you to be there. And when you say, no one, it's my project, it really throws people. They, they either think that you're lying or they just don't understand that. Has that, that, has that happened to you? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> um, I think I had difficulties to explain that in, in not, maybe not in the European countries, but in Africa for sure. Why would I photograph there? And to the Libyan authorities there, <laughs> why would I photograph and nobody pays me? Um, that sounds completely insane, especially in, in less developed countries. Um, anyway. Um, what was the goal of the project from the beginning? A book and, and a an exhibition. A yeah. book and exhibition. Yeah. So that was different than when I was, the, when I was doing the, the, the Red Journey, the, the title of the former Soviet Re Republic book I made. There was no intention of making anything whatsoever. Now I really started with the idea, this is going to be a book and I will keep on traveling and photographing until it's, uh, I've, you know, I have enough material and until I fi find an editor who wants to publish it. And both of those have been realized several times over. You've got the book, but you've also, this has been exhibited a few times. Yes, yes, I'm really happy. Uh, it's been a, the launching exhibition was in Antwerp in the Museum of Photography. Then it went to the Thessaloniki Biennale for Contemporary Art. And now this year, suddenly I got a lot of uh, demands from festivals. That's what, what brings me here in Sydney. Next week I'll be in Sevilla in Spain. Then there is the festival in Lodz, Poland. Another one in the south of France and, and one in Athens. All all oh. before summertime, so wow. uh, very busy now suddenly. Congratulations, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I spent a lot of mo uh, time last year contacting all festivals and institutions and, and museums and galleries and and nothing really worked out and I said, come on, forget about it. I'm going to focus on my next project. And suddenly they're, <laughs> they're there, so yeah, it's yeah, amazing. It's I was really glad. The minute you stop trying and then it all happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how that works. Let's talk about the book. What? How did the book come about? Who published it? What's it? How? What? How's it look? It's uh, it's published by a, a smaller publisher in Belgium, Hannibal. Okay. They uh, they do art books, mostly photography books. Um, well, 
Uh, they do. Um, was it? Was it was it? published on one thousand five hundred copies. That's uh, okay. Fifteen hundred copies. Fifteen hundred. And yeah. did did you approach them, or they approached you? Was it was it an easy sell, or did you have to convince them that this was something they should do? I knew the editor because he used to work for another company, for another uh, publishing house before, which who published my first book. So okay. he knew me already. And little he, connection there. And the guy knew that the first book was successful, so there was not re not really a problem to convince them. Um, the the advantage with the publisher is that I didn't have to invest in in the production myself. Oh, nice! And I hear from a lot of colleagues uh, who are publishing photo books that they have to invest certain amounts, big amounts of money in their yeah. own book. So no, it's, it's rare. It's rare it's that rare. you don't have to come up with money up front. It yeah. is a compromise, of course. Um, the book is not is not like the huge uh, photography book I, I would I would have loved to publish. It's it's. Uh, democratically priced with 35 euros oh yeah that's and that's good uh, so um, and that's it yeah and was uh, did you do the edit on the book or was there an editor involved that is a designer involved I did the edit on the book and I for the sequencing I um, I sat together with a designer basically the book is very simple um, I love classical photo books there is not a lot of uh, uh, each each page is either one photograph with a white border around it, or maybe sometimes two, mm -hmm. two uh, next uh, next each other. Um, and uh, there, I didn't want to split up the whole project country by country. That would would not make any sense. So it's it's more of more or less uh, uh, by intuition, um, textures or or contrasts or similarities that I I've, I have ordered the or I've sequenced the book. And the next question I have is a little bit off in a, in a different direction. I've got a few here that um, that I think are interesting. They're a little bit more about, you know, you've done you've done the work, you've done the books, and you've now you're basically established as a long-term documentary photographer. If you have two successful books, two successful projects, and you've already obviously got another project that you hinted that you're going to be working on in the in the future, or maybe you're working on it now. There's you're you're firmly established as a part of the creative community. And I've always thought that the creative community, one, doesn't get the credit it deserves in sort of the general scheme of, of society. And I think that creatives have a responsibility that, you know, you're, you're basically showing us something about the Mediterranean that we may or may not have known about or thought about. And I think that creatives have a responsibility to do that, whether you're an artist or a writer or a photographer. It's, it's, you're here to educate and inspire warn people, show people, etc. How do you feel that you fit into, let's say, the Belgian community? What you as a creative, what's your responsibility? Um, I would love uh, people being, um, when they see my work, my, for instance, the exhibition of about the Mediterranean, that they start to think basically think about major issues that we all have to deal with sustainability um, uh, fair trade um, migration very very uh, heavy issues that there are often uh, being talked about in an easy simple way mm -hmm. black and white way but it's it's very complex um, so that is that's a it, I don't I wouldn't call it a message I want to give but that that sounds so moralistic um, but it would be nice if people think about what they've seen and I um, uh, what what they've seen on my, in my pictures and as a 
as a photographer and also a teacher at the academy because I didn't tell you maybe I you still I teach st- there I started to teach after 10 years I, after I graduated I started to teach at the same school where I was a student so okay so I, I teach documentary photography there one day a week um, that's something that I uh, try to uh, explain to my students uh, to um, to follow or to um, never forget to to um, to make your your own personal work it's fine to do assignments but um, try to 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 find a good balance between that and your own work because in the end that's what count if um, that's what you're going to walk away with at the end of your career I think is always the personal stuff is yeah, going ri- to rise to the top yeah. and it's very easy because the word success can be also a very slippery slope. I know that photographers who work all the time who don't particularly like what it is that they do and they're viewed as very successful people. They make plenty of money. Their, their work is seen all the time, but when you talk to them in private, they're like, I'm not happy. This isn't who I am. I don't want to do this. Mm. And I think that you made a really courageous decision of saying, you know, yeah, I have success as a press photographer, but it's not satisfying me. I'm going to walk away. And I think that the best documentary photographers all have share that characteristic of drive, of just single purpose saying, this is something I'm going to do. And it's interesting to me that your first project was not a project that you had commercial uh, dreams of, that you went out and it was a very pure project. And the the purity of the project led you to quality work, which led you to a successful book, and then basically jump-started your your career as this long-term documentary photographer. Yeah. And I think photography today, which leads me to this to the, another question, what photography is in the in the eyes of the people that you are photographing might has that might have changed from the time you became a photographer until today. I think it's changed, but I'm curious if you think, in the eyes of the people that you're photographing, that they look at you now in 2016 a little differently than they would have in let's say 1999. Is that something you? think about or have you seen a change there do you mean the people who uh, who are in my pictures yes yes the people the people in the photographs okay um, basically I don't feel um, a, a big difference but I wonder how many people are, um, are aware that I'm that I just made it their picture uh, in my work peop- in, in my work people are not very near I'm, I'm not going to approach people ve- from very near most of the time there are some exceptions um so actually it it's it's not about individuals that I photo- I've, I've ne- I always I, I, I hardly speak with uh, people when I'm go out when I go out photographing because this disturbs my my visual concentration um, there are there are people who can make video and photographs and meanwhile do an, e- an interview with somebody I, I can't I, I am focused <laughs> visually and that's it and uh, whenever people wanted want to talk to me I kind of close I will be friendly of course uh, if you're working out there in the public area and you act like an asshole they don't <laughs> they'll you treat you like one yeah well yeah. that's it you have to be friendly but I'm I'm a kind of uh, a social guy when I'm photographing friendly though but uh, I'm not in for long discussions 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that because there's a, there's a certain distance that you work at that's consistent through some of the images that are coming back through my mind, like the people that in, in bathing suits that are, that are posing on those rocks. It almost yeah. looks like an image that you, you completely composed, but you didn't compose anything about it. That's right. And then the, the, um, the UN troops or the troops from a distance up high, that, that is a distance that you can work with some anonymity of without having to engage in dialogue. Yeah. And that was something that you purposely you purposely strive for, or, or was that just the natural distance that you fell into going back? Um, it's, it's not all so deliberately, but at, in the end, that's uh, that's why what I um, the, the the pictures I picked out from the whole these thousands of pictures I made in the final edit, I find found out that a lot of the pictures I shot from an, a more elevated point, and this is not that I was aware of that while I was shooting, but apparently the best pictures are made from a higher point because the landscape is uh, more is more um, more interesting seeing it that way um, and also when you're editing m i think i i made some um, aesthetical um, choices you have to find it, since it's it's a very complex thing i've been making with all these different topics I, I try to, to to create a unity in, in maybe in style and in aesthetics and by choosing f these pictures of course I have also peop photographed people at uh, on beaches a bit closer but uh, in the end I, I chose for uh, yeah more radical style I think well I think the the distance fits the context of the project because it's not about these individual people necessarily it's it about the context in relation to the sea yeah, and the landscape, and it's and it's nice because I wouldn't classify it as landscape photography, and I wouldn't classify it as like classic reportage. It's this really interesting middle ground that's that's both beautiful but also highly informational. Where it, you know you can look at those prints and just your eye goes from spot to spot to spot, and it's almost like this little this an essay within a photograph about what's happening there. It's a pretty. I, I it's I don't. The in, what I love about the project is it doesn't. There isn't a project that I immediately identify with it. Like I don't look at the project and say, "Oh, this reminds me of so and so's body of work." I looked at it when you when it was on the screen at town hall, and I thought, "This is a really it's a it's a, a very unique and maybe it is related to the distance. It's a really unique look at that particular place in that its scale. It's a it's mm -hmm. a pretty. I'm trying to figure out how you did that. Yeah. So I can copy it, of course. <laughs> uh. Uh, well, I, I think it's it's uh, the, the photographs I make and also the, the ones I select. I, I like these pictures where, where you need a bit of time to analyze them, to look at them, and they are also open, open for interpretation according to your own knowledge of the region, your background, your world vision, whatever. You can pick out other things, I think, and. For instance, there is this picture of this naked old lady on the on the naturist's beach in Saint-Tropez in France, and there's an African guy selling uh, uh, sunglasses or whatever to her. Um, some people find find this picture really disturbing and disgusting. How how could how could you do that? And other people f just think it's funny, and I think that's a good sign when 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 people have different meanings about the photographs it's it means that i'm not that there is still some mystery left in in a picture and and that's what i um, what i try to keep 
some some sense of mystery. Not everything is is obvious. It's I'd like to confuse people because life in general is also very confusing and very uh, difficult to understand. I mean, I think what a picture like that does, and that's a picture that's on some of the promotional things for Head On around town. So I've seen that uh, pretty sizably printed around here. It's a beautiful picture, but I think that's a picture that evokes something in people, whether they love it or they hate it, or they think it's funny or they think it's sad. And I think ultimately that's what you're here for as a photographer. Even the picture of the, of the, uh, the I don't think they're UN troops, but the troops that are standing on that hillside, there's a beauty in the picture because you have these camouflage uniforms and white, these beautiful armored white vehicles. But then it's on this landscape that you realize if you go back through human history, what is unfolded on that exact piece of land. And now you have this modern, hyper-modern force standing there in their high-tech equipment and high-tech vehicles, but you're on, you're on this piece of earth that's seen, you know, history that's unparalleled. I mean, it's, you know, it could be the, the oldest civilization. So it's a pretty interesting thing to, to make people, I think stills have become confrontational because they force you to spend that extra moment to understand, whereas motion and television and things that move quickly uh, don't. And I think mm -hmm. that's the power of, of these things. Mm -hmm. That's why we're all still here, and you know, at a photo festival in Sydney, is we're all yeah. we're all hooked on this stuff. Yeah. Well, so, uh, yeah, it's true. Well, I, I use a lot of contrasts in my images, um, but I cannot really pinpoint how or or the picture about about um, in, in South Lebanon with the United Nations uh, peacekeepers that mm -hmm. you're talking about. Yep. You have this beautiful blue idyllic sea in the background. And it's completely disturbed by the presence of the military in, in so this is how yeah th this amb ambiguity I often uh, I often try to I often use in my pictures yeah, between nice and ugly and, and sad and happy and and tragic and comical because there's also a lot of humor in, in the images in a way kind of ironical humor so moving forward what are, when you look at, you have another project that you're going to embark on in the near future, what's the, what's the largest obstacle for you moving forward now that you've had the success and you've seen this? Is there, is there an idyllic situation that you, you look at the future and say, man, I wish I could, you know, this would happen. I could get funding, full-time funding for these projects. Or is that, what's the, what's the hardest, uh, what's the biggest challenge? It is definitely uh, financial. Um, because I, I still have an, uh, enough energy to <laughs> to do uh, whatever subject they ask me, except for war. Um, it's definitely uh, f trying to find funding. Um, I'm very ca careful by uh, with doing assignments because I don't want to return where I come from. I want to to keep to have my liberty and to keep it. Um, it would be good if I could. Um, yeah, I should I should invest more time in trying to find funding which I didn't do so far. Do you think the funding will come more readily because of the success that you had with these prior projects? Or is it still just as difficult today? Um, well, it's, it's getting better, but slowly. Um, so meanwhile, I expanded my network through other big uh, magazines and, and so on in, in France, in Germany. So it's easier to, to get in touch with them, to publish uh, in the magazines, and, and they also pay like five times more in, than, than in Belgium. <laughs> so always nice. nice. Yeah, always nice, yeah. Um, so that's definitely going easier. I mean, people start to know what I'm doing and, 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 
and if they appreciate it, they will be uh, they will be eager to see my new work. Uh, I hope. And uh, there's also another so another possibility is that I I would try to get uh, funding from the school where I teach. Mm. They do have fundings for investigations, research in the arts. It's a it's a hell of a um, tough process process you have to because you have to not only explain what you want to do it but what is the role of it for art and for history and for photography and and what the philosophical cons uh, it's yeah. a lot of work <laughs> and uh, this is what we what, what I would always um, would help me from doing that but I really should I think should rent a nice little house in uh, in the Ardennes in Belgium and and go there for two weeks and write 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 <laughs> a, a file uh, so I can apply. Um, you can apply for the apply for that. Yeah, yeah that's that totally worth doing. It sounds that like a good thing to do because they they pay you a salary basically to do what what I would also do if I didn't. Uh, I mean, by by would my would own means. Yeah. And meanwhile, you you teach, of course. But um, yeah, that that would be the perfect solution. Okay, my last question is: You have children, and you have a job, and you're a long-time documentary, your long-term documentary project photographer, which I'm sure occupies most of your time. But where do you find your influence from? Are there other photographers that you watch that you love or people that have come before us that you find inspiring? Is it music? Is it art? Is it film? Where do you get inspired? Actually, I was very late with uh, buying photo books and going to exhibitions. When I was a press photographer, I hardly didn't look at mm -hmm. other other photographers' work. It's, it's changed after my first book. Um, I got really. Uh, if I if there is one guy, uh, one photographer that influenced me, then it must be Karl de Keyser, Karl de Keyser, Magnum photographer, mm -hmm. who is also from Ghent, from from Antwerp. I know him. Of course, I know him personally. He's he's also teaching at this at the same school. But I really like his um, his way of doing long term projects about um, about systems about religion, communism, colon colonialism. Now he just uh, made a book about Cuba and the end of communism there. Um, he's and he's um, yeah he's going from one project to the other, and the result is always a book and an exhibition. And in in his photography, I really like the also the mystery in it. It's uh, very un, um, yeah yeah. He's particular. A heavy, he's a heavyweight. Yeah. He's yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So he's uh, really both both his photography as his way of working a big inspiration to me, and but it's only afterwards that I started to see some um, similarities with other photographers. I I, I I'm a really big fan of um, what Mitch Epstein did about energy and power in in, yeah. the, in the States. Uh, um, the Yellow River of Nadav Kander found I find it fant fantastic. These are like large format photographers right, but right. I often feel I'm, I'm, I'm connected with them although I'm I'm, sh I'm not shooting with a large format camera might be in the future ah, um, hint hint uh, yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have to slow down the process <laughs> no that's good uh, that's um you're uh, yeah. I just spoke to another photographer a few days ago who called me and said hey how do I do you know anyone that can sell me a four by five camera yeah he's, well he's wants I'm to also slow down. oh you're looking about too? that yeah. yeah yeah nice that's yeah. good because you're shooting digitally now yeah, digitally. When I have my own, when I when I travel with with a car, I take more cameras. I also take an X-Pan, Asolbad X-Pan, and and a Mamiya Seven. Okay. Six Seven. But most of the pictures are digital. Yeah. Digital SLR. Yeah. 
Well, we could talk all day and night. Uh, it's too dark now officially for me to even see my notebook. <laughs> and uh, we have this very moody, moody view here out the, of the skyline of Sydney, which I have to say is really nice. Absolutely. The, the reggae station is not coming in over the, over the audio recorder too bad, so I feel pretty happy about that. I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I kind of sprung this interview on you uh, last minute. And uh, very kind of you to take the time to do this. And I know that people are appreciative of, of getting inside your brain and understanding how this work happens because it's, uh, it's not easy. And I totally love the, love the project and I feel fortunate to have met you. Thank you very much. Me too. I'm very glad we met. And uh, thanks, let's, let's try to do this again in the future. Yeah, sure. Thank, thanks, Nick. Thanks, Dan.